0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors." So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. And then from 1 Corinthians. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. And now if you would stand for the gospel reading.
1: This communion cup, Jacqueline, uh, Sophia handed it to me today. I brought Sophia to work with me early today, and all the communion that's on your chairs, most of them, uh, Sophia and Nancy put there for you this morning, because people get here really early to serve before everybody else gets here. But Sophia handed me this one because she said, something's wrong with it. There's no bread in it. And I was amazed at how she sees no detail when we ask her to clean her room, But out of 10,000 little cups, she noticed one, didn't have the bread in it. And when she handed it to me, I put it on the altar, Jacqueline, because it reminded me of you, about how Sophia saw each individual cup and wanted all of them to be placed right and wanted everybody to have bread. And that is one of the best ways I can describe you, uh, how I've known you for a very long time. Like, I think we've been together for almost 17 years. Whew. Whew you've done it. You have finished the race. <laughs> yes. But I just, I saw you in her when she saw, like, you you see each and every one of these people. And you know when there's something lacking and you pray for them. And we, we talk about this all the time. And so I just want you all to know, she sees you, not as a broad one singular body, but she sees you and she knows when something's lacking and she prays that you'll always have bread. And I just... I love you dearly. I'm, I'm madly in love with you. I can't believe I get to be married to you every day. And yes, I should read the gospel now, right? Also, I was really excited to hear how you would say you foolish person in the previous text. Like if you thought of, if you were thinking biblically, you would say it just like you did. If you thought of me, I was like, what is she, what tone will she use here? And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He really should have finished talking right there, but he didn't. He goes on. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that for you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind, for He is kind, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I'm like a CD that's stuck. Be merciful, even As your heavenly Father is merciful, he still keeps talking. Jesus, stop talking. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Oh, darn. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. (laughs) Heavenly Father, help. In your name we pray amen. You may be seated this morning. Man, Jesus talked too much. Take it easy. Just say love your enemies. You don't have to capitalize on it like that. Honestly, I just, I wish you could see my notes right. I just crossed out three-fourths of my sermon. Yeah. Yeah. There needs to be healing. Um, if you're watching from home, I just I'm praying for you that you can, the Holy Spirit would, would uniquely gift you right now, watching from home, to feel the sacred moment of healing open for you. Because, and I'm I'm re choreographing this this message as we speak. So I was hoping Roseanne and Jacqueline would talk just a little longer. The one time I didn't want to talk, everybody hurries up, and I'm like, come on. There are three texts that we just read, Joseph and his brothers, Paul briefly talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus talking about loving our enemies. And at the end of that, he says, Give and it will be given unto you. Press down, good measure poured into your lap. And every time we hear that, we hear it in the context of money. But Jesus says it in the context of forgiveness. Let's stop taking Jesus out of context. Raise your hand if you love when people take you out of context. Who thoroughly enjoys when somebody says one part of what you said but places it in this context and not this one? Okay, okay. Jesus said, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Love your enemy and you'll be loved. Bless those who curse you and you'll be blessed. He's talking about reconciliation. He's talking about healing of relationships, both vertically and horizontally. Right? Think of the beams on the cross. He's talking about healing our relationship with the Lord so that we can be sustained and held up to reach out to each other. That's what he's talking about. So when he says it will be measured back to you, he's talking about the thing that we all need the most, which is to continually be restored unto our heavenly father and to be restored unto the people that God has placed us with. That's what will be given back to us. That's what will be poured into our lap in good measure. That's what will be pressed down and shaken together and running over abundantly is in the community of Salem Tabernacle. We could be a place where when people walk in, the very atmosphere they walk into, dare I ask, do we still have some Pentecostal folk in the room? that the very atmosphere they walk into instantaneously, relationships with the two people who just walk in already begin to heal because God has already pressed down and shaken together in this room that kind of reconciliation. Before the teaching ever goes forth, before John plays a note, before Stephanie sings a lyric, before we enter into our liturgy, our sermon, whatever it is, when people just walk in, when they're near people from Salem Tabernacle, imagine if relationships are already healing in their lives. Because here, we're open to loving our enemy. Here, we're open to giving people space to repent and be forgiven. Now, I want to show you something that has to be said today, because there are people that I know personally who have been in abusive relationships, and this text, whenever it shows up in the lectionary, there has to be a gentleness in how we talk about turning the other cheek. There has to be a gentleness in terms of how we talk about loving our enemy, forgiving and moving forward because for some of us it's something we should be doing physically all of the time for other people it's dangerous to be reconciled to somebody listen to how listen to the voice of your good shepherd as I read to you the surgically perfect words that Jesus uses here listen Ian you could go back to Luke six twenty seven. Watch this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Everybody say bless Bless. and curse. Bless those who curse you. But look what he says. Pray for those who abuse you. Do you see the nuance? If somebody's cursing you, get in proximity and bless them. If somebody's abusing you, stay away, but pray for them. He's not putting you in harm's way. He would never do that. If somebody's running their mouth, okay, I can be near you. But if somebody's harming your soul, your body, your spirit, and they won't stop, you can turn the other cheek by getting out of that and praying, but not having to be in proximity and bless. Look what else he says. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And he's showing us how to do that. For some, offering the other cheek is an analogy. For everybody, it's an analogy. For some, offering the other cheek means I'm going to stay in proximity with you, and I'm going, even though you're kind of a rough person, even though you're just real nasty, today, I'm going to be in a relationship with you, I'm going to be physically present to you, and we're going to get through this together. For other people, turning the other cheek means I'm backing away, God is not calling me to get my face kicked in. I'm going to back away, but I'm going to pray for you that God would heal you as much as I want to pray that God would send you to hell. I'm going to pray that God would heal you. That's for somebody who's being abused. Simply praying that God would heal their abuser is turning the other cheek. So in no way, shape, or form does this mean that you have to stay in something that is harming you. But he goes on to say, And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. I'm sorry, he says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Again, notice, when somebody's begging from you, he's saying offer it to them. But if somebody has robbed you, you can stay away. But just don't demand it back. Again, you see Jesus saying, there's some bad things that can happen, that can be happening to you that are the kind that you can stay in. There are some bad things that are happening to you that are the kind that you have to step all the way out of, and then pray. For some people, he's saying, just give it to them. For other people, he's saying, stay away from them. Just don't demand back what they've taken, but stay away. So I pray that when you read your Bible... Because people are going to ask you more questions about life than they're going to ask me. You're going to have more conversations collectively than I'm going to have. You're going to have more conversations collectively this week than I will have probably for the next five years. Collectively. Remind people of the humanity of Christ. That they can be safe and still love their enemies at the same time. That they can get out of a harmful situation and still turn the other cheek in their prayer life at the same time. The world needs a church that understands the dynamic of case-by-case realities and people who are sensitive to them. Amen? What does the Spirit of God give us for healing? This is all I want to talk about today. I want to say three simple points, and then I want us to pray. What is the Spirit of God healing in us? in these three chapters. I'll start with the gospel. The Spirit of God gives us vision to see through our triggers. This has to connect to what we said earlier in the service about healing. Like Sophia saying to me, Dad, this cup doesn't have bread. There's some of us, we're filled, but we're lacking a particular component and for some of us, we're lacking the ability to see through our triggers. When we get triggered, when we get angry, when something feels like it has violated us or just stepped on our opinion the wrong way, and we get, real, like we get in our own head, Jesus is giving us a way to see through our triggers, to bless our enemies, to be kind to those who are persecuting us, to show a gentler spirit To those who are being forceful with their words, with their opinion. Um, A word I've been using lately is people these days, uh, certainly nobody in this room, and certainly not me. People are impenetrable. You can talk to them and say your best words and give your best content. And all they did was just wait for you to shut up so they could just restate what they said at the beginning. The conversation does not enter their life. They're impenetrable. And Jesus is saying we can soften the concrete by praying for our enemies, by blessing them. They cut you off. I'm just gonna pray. I'm not going to force my way back into this conversation. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to have my value tied to my ability to influence you because then I'm going to manipulate you. I'm just going to back out and I'm going to pray that God's wisdom would come upon me and come upon you. And hopefully we can work this out again at another time. This is all very simple, but when we start to get this stuff right, everything changes, everything changes. When we can love our enemies, the Spirit of God gives us vision to see through our triggers. Vengeance is now prayer. Getting back at is now trusting God to speak to. I can't talk to this person. The Holy Spirit's like, can I have a chance? seeing through our triggers. There are people watching from home. There are people in this room where right now we lack the muscle to not flinch when we're triggered but remain steadfast and wait so that our response is a measured one. (laughs) The world has lost this muscle. The world cannot bench press the bar of this particular issue. The world needs to go to the gym when it comes to being triggered and not flinching, but staying steadfast and waiting for a measured response. Does anyone know anybody who flies off the handle just a little bit in your life at work? Somebody? Okay, let's try this. Raise your hand if you know me. You all know somebody. (laughs) Jesus teaches this to his disciples. When you read the text carefully, he teaches this to the church. Because it is here that we that that virtue begins. It is here that the river of life flows from this room out into those streets. It is here that we learn to be silent in front of King Herod like Jesus was. King Herod killed Jesus' cousin, and Herod is the only one that Jesus has no words for in the passion crucifixion story. He speaks to Caiaphas. He speaks to Pontius Pilate. Herod essentially says, dance for me, clown, and Jesus doesn't say a word to him. That tells me that Jesus knows that what he would say is not the will of the Father. And he loves Herod by saying, my silence is a big hug right now because you don't want me to open my mouth. That kind of steadfast trust, whenever we have to get the last word, whenever we have to say the next thing. There have been times where I've been in a back and forth with somebody And I kind of coast out of it nicely. And I'm like, all right, cool. You got one for once. And then a little bit later, I I think of the other argument. I'm like, oh, that's a good argument. How do I get them back into this now? How do I draw them back in so I could say this? And I say to myself all the time, God, why didn't you tell me that when I was arguing with them? And God's like, when are you going to learn? Because I didn't want you to say it. I want you to take that comment and ask me to tell them. I'm like, but that's not fun. There's no glory in that. (laughs) It takes virtue to be healed enough. What is it in you? Can you this week name what it is in you that is not strong enough to be quiet and not say the next thought if the Spirit wants us to offer our next phrases to Him instead of the person we're in front of. Most people in the world don't have this conversation that we're having right now. Most people in the world are taught how to say what they want to say gently and nicely and in a way that can be received. I'm suggesting we also learn to say nothing, especially at the moments when somebody thinks they have finally gotten over on you, because when the church can learn to be steadfast and silent in those moments, the Holy Spirit, that space where you're just like, oh, I have the thing to say, they... The comment I have next is so good they won't ever be able to walk. Their back will hurt when I give this comment. I need to give this comment. They will, they will think I'm the greatest person because everybody loves you after a good argument. When we quiet our soul there, that agonizing feeling that we feel is the space we just created for the Holy Spirit to inhabit. When we fill that space with our words, the Holy Spirit is the one who remains humble and quiet. Fine. I'll be quiet until Pastor Bill shuts up. Every time there's space and we fill it with our words, the Holy Spirit's like, I'll be the the one who's quiet until you get quiet and then I'll start talking to them. But the Holy Spirit's not pushy. He's humble. He's meek. He's gentle. He won't cut you off. Maybe one of you Maybe somebody will be funny and raise their hand, but I would pretty much venture to say none of us have ever been cut off by God before while we were praying. I've never heard a voice jump into my room. I'm like, dear Lord, I just want you to know I love you. So, Bill, what? Can I finish? Like, he never cuts us off. He won't. Maybe we should learn that when we're quiet, he'll start talking. And that's one of the ways we love our enemies. If that needs to heal in you, we're going to pray for that today. Vision to see through our triggers. Next, the Corinthian text. Oh, what a complicated text about the resurrection. I chose just three verses of it where Paul says, what is sown is a bare kernel, but what is raised is the full tree. And he essentially says the bodies that you see now when you look at people, the body that you see when you look in the mirror, the self that you see when you think about yourself, that is the equivalent of a seed. And what you will be when Christ has fully restored you is like the difference between a seed and the fully grown oak tree. And so whenever we look at people, We're seeing the small, most broken aspect of who they are. But what they will be is as different as looking at a seed to looking at a fully grown tree that's 100 feet tall and hovers over your house in 50-mile-an-hour wind. And now you're a homeowner and storms are not cool anymore. They're expensive. Thank you, seed, for being planted there next to my house. There's a difference between that seed and that tree. Every person you look at is that seed right now. And so the question is, are we going to treat people based on their current seed form or based on who God tells us they will be one day? When you think about yourself, will you give yourself the space to know that you're only a mere seed of yourself right now? and that what you will one day be is so infinitely different and so infinitely full that right now your life should be a life of slow growing, not finally arriving. And so much of our hatred for ourselves is that we treat ourselves like we should be that fully grown oak tree, but that event of God that we call the resurrection, that hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't returned. He hasn't restored all things. And so, and nothing is supposed to be its fully restored state right now. So, we need to learn to see what is, but react to it and see what it one day will be, from starting from us to the people that we see. I should look at myself and say, You're not done yet. I don't like who I am in this area. You're not done, though. It's growing, it's changing. It's expanding. It is becoming. But we, the people who hate themselves the most are the people who have it locked into our mind that we're supposed to be done now. Only Jesus can say it is finished of himself. We're still becoming. We're human beings. We're still becoming. We're still changing. We're still Growing, I'm still shedding off the skin of that old man and I'm still being renewed in the image of my creator every day. I'm not done. And if I treat myself like I'm supposed to be done, I will either sell myself short or hate myself. But it also works when we talk to other people, when we see our spouse, when we see our family, when we see our friends. We're going to see things that rub us the wrong way. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to get it wrong. And in those moments, we should be saying, they're not done yet. God is still working on them. God is still healing them. God is still growing them. They're still becoming also. And I want my view of them to be based on this final reality where they will be in the image of Christ. And when that time comes, I want to have had something to do with that growth, not something to do with that demise. I don't want to be the person in your life that God has to work against. Come on, Salem, there it is. That, that's, I, I want to be somebody in somebody else's life that the Holy Spirit is using forward in that person's life. I don't want to be the powers of darkness that the Holy Spirit's working against. And I have been, and so have you. But we here... In the local church, it should start here that we are people who are joining the current of what the Spirit is doing to build somebody up. And like we said of the abusive situation, yes, you might be with somebody or around somebody who's so harmful, as, as Dr. Green says, there's a difference between people who cause pain and people who cause harm, and the Holy Spirit can tell us the difference. People, all people will cause pain, but we, we cannot stay locked into somebody who's causing harm, but we can back away from it, but still be part of that current and saying, Lord, I'm backing away because for whatever reason, when I'm in their life, they do destructful things. This, what I'm about to say next is for somebody. Have you ever heard the old adage? You don't take the recovering alcoholic down the alcohol aisle. We've all heard this before. If you're around somebody who, whenever you're around, they're constantly not arguing with you like day-to-day stuff, but they're constantly harmful and destructive. You love them by removing yourself from them because when you're around them, you're like the bottle of alcohol and they're like the recovering alcoholic. When you're around, they get destructful. So it's okay to pull yourself away from that because when you pull yourself away from it, they're less triggered to do something destructful. And that is loving them. And that is showing them that they can be more more than they currently are. But that doesn't mean you have to get them there. It means God can send somebody else to help them get there. And you can join God's current by saying, I'm not that person right now this onward Christian soldiers mentality that we have, some of it has to break because some, there's some people in your life that you're not called to heal. And you can create space for the person who is by stepping away. <laughs> Jesus let the disciples see him on the Mount of Transfiguration. With his face shining brighter than the sun. So that when they saw him on the cross, they knew that that marred, broken face was the same face that shines like the sun. And it will again. God showed them what a real face looks like. So that when they see a dehumanized, broken face, broken under the weight of corruption and systematic isms, they would look at that face that was expiring and say, we know what it will be again because we saw it. That's what Paul is talking about in Corinthians. When we look upon the face of our children, our spouse, our friends, our neighbors, the other, when we look upon their face, we see a broken face with thorns and thistles that are just constantly plaguing, but we know that there's a transfiguration and their face will shine. And the question is, are we joining that movement that is weeding that garden of thorns and thistles, or are we the people that God is working against? Are we the thorns? God wants to heal us from being thorns. God wants to heal us from contributing to somebody staying where they are not moving ahead to what God has for them. It starts here. It is not their responsibility out there to do this work. It is our responsibility here. The next and you're, we can all say amen right now cuz this is nice. Yeah, Jeff playing up here. This is nice. I've bent to the will of the people. It's not freezing cold in here anymore like it used to be even though I'm dying of heat stroke on a regular basis. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. The one clap we get is because the heat's on. Well, you know what? God's preparing you for a year all going, so. It's nice in here. We can say amen to this. The minute we get out there and we deal with all that, all that noise that's out there, the next text you get when you're in the car and all of a sudden it's just like that that toxic, I want to call it the old man but sometimes it's not really that old, it's the current guy that, that I'm in, just wants, it, just, it will leave here and it will still insist on its own way. At some point, we have to stop ourselves in our own tracks and say, if I can just hold on to the opinion i have here in this conflict a little longer i am actually beginning to allow the kingdom of god to come as it is in heaven but we like so jesus says you have the keys to the kingdom what when you withhold something it will be withheld and when you loose something it'll be loosed and we're all like loose the money like that's what we want Like we're in Shark Tank and God's one of the three people and we're like trying to convince, like invest in my calling, please. (laughs) What we need to loose is forgiveness and mercy and grace. That's what we need to loose. And when we hold on to it, it is withheld. That should scare us. That shouldn't B, give a $777 offering, I'll give you some holy water. Like, that should scare us. That what we loose is loosed. Think of what we loose. And what we withhold is withheld. Like, in other words, God's like, I trust you, I'll do what you're doing. Don't! Don't do what I'm doing. What is, Why? We actually, as the church, as the sacramental body of Jesus, we God actually trusts us. He has faith in us. He works in what we're doing. So when we, in one small little act, hold on to a thought, don't get the last word, view somebody and say, man, oh my gosh, I want to respond to who they are right now, but I know, and maybe it doesn't have to be cosmic, like the resurrection, it's just, I know they're in a bad season in their life right now, I know this season is going to shift, I'm going to respond to the who they are now, based on the fact that I know they're just going through bad stuff, and they're going to get better. And I'm going to be a force for that. When we do that, God looses that in the heavenlies. Again, do we have some Pentecostal people in the house? Do we have people who believe in the supernatural? We might have begun to feel goofy about that sort of thing. But the reality is I'm more interested in what happens when we express the fruit of the Spirit than I am in some of the more mundane miracles that we all hope for i want to know that when i exercise patience patience is released in the heavenlies and the world becomes more patient when i show patience what about that what about the fact that when we're loving in a small mustard seed little way to the cashier at walmart heaven unleashes and looses love and mercy So somewhere on the other side of the globe, somebody is all of a sudden saying, I just feel warm, strangely warmed. I need to do something for somebody because of what you're doing in Beacon. That is true. And if that's not true, we quit now and close up shop. There's no reason to do what we're doing if that's not true. But when we do stuff, it's Jesus doing stuff. And when Jesus does stuff, it shakes the foundations of all the world. Not just the person you're looking at. Know what you carry You carry an anointing that is unlike anything you could possibly imagine. It's true. You are far more anointed than you will ever know. When you withhold mercy, it's actually withheld. And when you offer it, it is offered so much better than you could offer it. And finally, John, would you please come up here and help me make my final point? Because it can only be made with you up here. I love you and I need you. And I gots to gots to gots to have you. Oh my gosh. I'm proof that Jesus is merciful, right? If you ever wonder if Jesus is merciful or not, he is. I promise. Hey. Hi, John. Final point. The Holy Spirit heals us and gives us vision to see through our triggers, vision to see through our brokenness, and vision to see through systems. The story of Joseph when he reveals himself to his brothers. Please close your eyes. This is powerful. If you're watching from home, close your eyes. If you're driving, close your eyes. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Joseph has two dreams when he's a boy. Dream one is that his brothers were like stalks of wheat. And so was he. And all the stalks of wheat bowed down to him. And then he had another dream. That all his brothers were like stars. And so was he. And all the stars bowed down to him. You can open your eyes. I don't want people falling asleep. Somebody was just about to be out. Like you felt that tingly start near your leg. And then Joseph told his brothers that, which was a mistake. Hey, Demetrius family, all my siblings, you're all going to bow down to me one day. God told me in a dream. So it's like, okay, how do we, how do we kill Bill? Volume 1 and (laughs) 2. Joseph goes to Egypt. He rises to power. And then he sees his brothers. And he's like,
0: oh. Oh.
1: Remember the dream that you you called me a dreamer, huh? Well, guess who's... So what does he do for chapters He torments his brothers. Go back. Come here. Go back. Is it well with your father? Leave Benjamin. Benjamin is the only one our father cares about anymore. Leave Benjamin and go. Our father, this is horrible. Okay, and now that they're all going, here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to take our most sacred cup, and I want you to put it in Benjamin's bag. And then I want you to go and say, (laughs) the Holy Spirit told Joseph that one of you stole And they're like, we didn't steal. We're so confident we didn't steal. Look. And it's in Benjamin's bag. And they're like, come back to Egypt, you thieves. He's tormenting them for what they did to him. Who wouldn't? You sold me into slavery. And now you're bowing down to me. I'm going, I'm going to work you. But listen to me, Salem. Remember his two dreams. Wheat bowed down to him and stars bowed down to him. This is so important, and it's often overlooked. Joseph is tormenting his brothers, and all of a sudden, one of his brothers says, I'm going to go whisper into his ear. And it's not ironic, but Judah stands up. See, when, when praise stands up, revelation is very close at hand. And praise whispers into the ear of Joseph, we've done some things we shouldn't have done. And if you don't let us out of this, it's not just going to be bad for us, it's going to be bad for our Father, and He's done nothing. He's been a victim of all of this. Please, have mercy on us. That's what praise says. And when Joseph is enveloped in the atmosphere of praise, he realizes two things about his dreams. One, wheat bowed down to me because I'm supposed to feed my brothers bread in famine. And stars bowed down to me because I'm supposed to protect their generations. As God said to Abraham, I will make your descendants like the stars of the heavens. Joseph thought that them bowing down to him meant that they will be under his thumb, that he will be in charge, that he will be the head and not the tail, and all this kind of stuff, until praise got in his ear and he realized, no, I was looking at those dreams based on the secular system of power. But the gospel system of power says that I'm going to lead you by feeding you. And I'm going to have power over you by protecting you, by giving you bread and giving you land and giving you protection and making sure that you, not just you, but your kids and your kids' kids and your kids, kids' 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 are safe. Praise allowed Joseph to see straight through the system of secular power, of Pharaoh power, and into the heart of Jesus Christ who serves as a king. Shortly after this story of Joseph, Joseph does something fatally wrong. He enslaves the Egyptians with bread. They say to him, we will give you our bodies if you give us bread. And he's like, great. Why does that have to happen? Because... Joseph is not Jesus. And we need to see in every biblical character where they're like Christ and where they're not because we see Jesus equally in both. We see Jesus where we see Jesus in Joseph that when praise fills him, he reveals himself to his tormentors and says, I forgive you. You didn't put me here. God put me here. And we hear that when Jesus says to Judas, Judah, Judas, go do what you came to do. You're not betraying me. I'm going. But then Joseph enslaves his own people with bread. And what does Jesus do differently than that? He doesn't enslave you. He doesn't buy your body so that he could give you bread. He becomes bread himself for you. And he feeds you and frees you from slavery on the food that is his own life. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Salem. Not in any one service, but moving forward as we begin to enter into a new season of the church. We're going to be talking on the topic of holy desires. We're going to be talking on the topic of the Holy Spirit burning inside of us and creating in us new wants, new likes, and new dislikes things that we like right now that we should have a bad taste in our mouth for, and things that we don't like that God wants to reconfigure our palate so we begin to like them. God wants to heal us by giving us new desires. That's why we celebrate Ash Wednesday. We celebrate the ash of our works being filled with... with, You take lemon and you take the ash... And you take bread and you wipe your thumb along bread. And then you reform that ash into the sign of a cross. Because this is what Jesus does to the ash of our works. He pours his fruit out on it. I'm assuming lemon is a fruit. Let's not get into that debate right now. I'm too exhausted for it. But he takes the sweetness of that and bread and he reforms our brokenness into a sign of resurrection that only somebody else can see in my life. That's why it goes here not on my hand. Because I need you to tell me that it's going to be okay. I need you to look at me and say, oh no, man, there's a, there's a cross on you. I say, you know what, Elder Bill, there's a cross on you too. I can't see it without you. That's part of our sin, Salem. We're trying to see our whole spiritual life by our own self. That's why it's important. This is not some Roman Catholic dead liturgy. This is a life-giving service. A week from this Wednesday, a life-giving service to remind us. And you know, you know where the ash is coming from? The ash that we're going to have on Ash Wednesday is coming from the palms that we purchased for Easter in 2020 that we never got to wave. That's what you burn to make the ash. And we never got to wave them. They've been sitting there for two years. And God hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten about your potential that has gone unused. He hasn't forgotten about the things in your life that have been run over by the brokenness of the world. He hasn't forgotten about them. He's reforming all of it into the resurrection of Jesus and bestowing it on you and anointing you and to get you to the point where you realize I've never lost anything because Jesus has used everything to make me a better person. These are powerful moments where he's healing us. He's healing us. He's making us whole. On the night when he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is offered for you. As often as you eat this bread, eat this bread in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, drink this in remembrance of me worship team can come on up And so Holy Spirit I pray that you would descend on these gifts and I would pray I pray that you descend on all of the gifts that are in this room not just the bread in the cup but every person that is in this room right now I pray that you would descend on all of us and make us something new make this bread and this cup The food, the body of Jesus Christ, the food of new and unending life in him. But make, reform us into the shape of your cross. Reform what needs to be reformed in my life. Heal what needs to be healed, Father God, so that I can have vision to look past my brokenness. Vision to look past my triggers. Vision to look past the systems and see something entirely new in what I see every single day. I pray that you would begin the process of healing and take us right into Easter through the tumult of this ongoing pandemic and all of the things that seem to be distracting. I pray that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to create new desires in this church and bring us to Easter on our way to full and complete healing in all the areas that you have for us. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. While the worship team sings one more song, would you just nourish on this food and close your eyes and just sort of let the worship team sing over you and just ask the Holy Spirit to begin to show you where you need healing and to give you the courage to trust God for it. Would you partake with me this morning?